0: Good morning. So we are in Hebrews chapter two today, and before we get into Hebrews, I'm going to take a step back because if any of you have read Hebrews two or really most of Hebrews, <clears throat> um, you're going to really very quickly run into what I think we need to talk about today, and that is barriers to to reading and understanding the Bible. And I've already, of course, written my notes here on the board, and I, I just want to go through these because I think that one of the reasons why our flock or maybe um, people who are seeking Christianity or trying to understand, you know, what do I have to do to 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 you know quote be a Christian or be a disciple of Jesus? Obviously, knowing the Word of God is paramount, but knowing the Word of God is all, often a, a big barrier for most people because they don't know where to start. They don't know what they're reading. The Bible can seem like an insurmountable obstacle to just crack that book open and start uh, uh, reading it. <clears throat> And if you get into Hebrews today, what we're gonna get into is one of those barriers. Um, so, and, and I've got, like, I've named five, and there's probably 50. Um, but I'll just say right off the bat, you know, what are the ones that if you were to make a list, uh, most people would say, well, I will say the strange names is probably one of them, right? I, I open the book, and all of a sudden, I'm reading Methuselah's and Mephibosheth's, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm reading here. Um, it doesn't say Steve and Ken and Brian. So, so immediately, you're kind of you're kind of at a barrier based on the names and, and the terminology. Um, place names too, uh, you know, Shiloh and Bethel and, and Hebron. And you're like, that's not you know, Postville and Springfield and all these other names that maybe you'd be familiar with. The second is the unfamiliar historical <laughs> setting. This is this is the thing I love the most about the Bible. I am a student of history and archaeology and and manuscripts and all this sort of thing. I love the history. The problem is that unless you study history, it can be a barrier too because you may not understand the historical context. I think a lot of people today probably, you know, it's like it's like memory. You're more familiar with the history you've lived than the history you haven't. And so you're more familiar with the, you know, the 2000s, uh, maybe the, the 1990s or 80s or something like that. <clears throat> you might be familiar with certain American history because that's a very important thing, especially in public schools in the United States, of course. American history, especially uh, the 20th century civil rights movements and that sort of thing. But as you get further back in history, it becomes a barrier, it's cloudy. You don't really understand it. When people start talking about the Mycenaeans or the or the Hittites or the Assyrians, all of a sudden you glaze over. You're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Those are all very important cultures with relevance to what happened in the Bible. <clears throat> this is a big one and I'm gonna start prepping you because <laughs> I have a plan for where this class is going. Um, After Hebrews, we're going to be slowly getting into more and more pieces of the Bible that hit on this, which is the diverse literary genres of the Bible. Now, right there, your eyes might be glazing over. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, okay, what are are you doing here, Brian? This is, you know, what are we in in English class or something? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, this is lit. Um, By studying the Bible, you are studying literature. Um, The problem is. That most all of us want the Bible to be a literal historical document that we read that is straightforward, at a face value, we can derive some kind of meaning. The problem is, it might surprise you, most of the Bible is not that. Most of the Bible is not a literal historical document um, of, of evidence of the past the Bible has many wonderful literary genres. Prose or historical uh, literature is one of them, but there are others. Poetry. The Bible is absolutely full of poetry. Songs, um, parable, um, uh, analogy, metaphor, allegory. Um, So all of a sudden the Bible itself, if you're not a fan of poetry or allegory or metaphor, and you start reading some of the sayings of Jesus, in which Jesus spoke about 95% of the time in parable or allegory. He was not a literal person. That becomes a barrier, because you're like, why don't you just tell me, straightforward, what you want me to know, right? And, and, and a lot of people have trouble with that. <clears throat> that leads into this fourth one, which is this. The struggle between the conceptual and the literal interpretation of the Bible. I'm going to prep you for this, because we're going somewhere with this. That I want you to be ready for when we get here, which is... Every sentence and and passage of the Christian Bible has a root conceptual meaning. 100% of the Old and New Testaments, whatever you're reading, has a root conceptual idea or meaning behind it. Not every passage you read has a literal face value interpretation of it. It may or may not. In fact, a minority of the Bible is literal in the sense that it is straightforwardly telling me something concrete that has to do with the practical, physical world, okay? This is where a lot of us get hung up, and when we try and fit what we're reading into a literal interpretation, because many of us, and again, I'm not gonna go there today, we want to force ourselves into saying, I, I always interpret the Bible literally unless I, I have otherwise, believe otherwise. And in fact, we're gonna to get to the point where we realize that that is not possible it was, we'd stop. Done. Yeah. You would. You wouldn't even need this class. You could just go home and read it and be like, yeah. "Buy eggs, milk, you know, right. cheese. Have a nice day. Yeah. Thank you, sir. That's exactly it." And this is the and this is the one that we're going to hit on today. That a lot of the Bible has what I would call abstract theological ideas. That is Hebrews two. That's what brings us to today and understanding it. And it can be a barrier. Now, when we get into this and we read this, and it's a short passage, there it's pretty dense. In its, in its theological <laughs> implications. And so a lot of us are kind of you know, maybe put off by that because A, we don't understand it. It seems weird or abstract or not concrete to us. <clears throat> and so we just kind of brush over it or maybe we don't even read it. That's a mistake, that's a mistake. And so what I'm gonna do here is, you know, one of the things I've asked Laura is, I, you know I want feedback. How can we make this class better? And and she, she mentioned something that's really good, I think, which is, you know, it's all well and good that I'm here every Sunday telling you about the Bible. But at some level, if I don't teach you to fish, you're not going to get any further, right? And if someday I'm not here anymore, and that will come, or you move or, you know, you know, go to a different church or something, you have to be equipped to be able to find these answers on your own and not just depend on someone else. So what I've done is assembled... Um, a one-page reference, I'll say, which is kind of a starter page for how you find answers in the Bible. And and for those of you listening to the podcast, I will make this sheet available uh, at our website through the link in the podcast. Um, For those of you in the room, I might be tethered, thank you, sir. Um, For those of you in the room, I think I have your email addresses, all of you, I will just email the, the sheet to you and then you'll have the links. You actually click on these blue, these blue references and go there. I'm not going to talk about this list today, except to say, <clears throat> this will be the starting point for you, to be able to answer these questions on your own. And and so I have this, you know, on the board here, finding answers to <coughs> biblical questions. This is really important because you're not always going to have someone like me or um, maybe <clears throat> someone you trust. You're going to have to have lots of, of different avenues by which you can figure out what the Bible is trying to tell you. The first thing I have here is the most important, your church elders. Your church elders are the preachers and teachers of your church who should be able to, if they cannot answer a biblical question for you directly, point you to a place that can and can give you information. The sheet I just handed out is the starting point of some of that. Um, I can't say enough things. I'm not gonna go through the list. On the sheet itself, The Bible Basics, the Christian Basics Bible, New Living Translation is excellent. Get it if you don't have it. I have given several away just by having it because for new Christians or Christians who are asking very basic questions, this is an amazing resource to point people to any, pretty much any topic you can imagine from death, murder, loss, abortion, marriage, happiness, joy, eternity, salvation, heaven, you can find biblical references to those, those topics or questions in this Bible, along with a lot of other information. It's very easy for someone to read. It's not, it's not a college textbook. Okay. <clears throat> That's the second one here, biblical resources. And, and this will be the starting point for you, and it's probably one of those things that as you start <coughs> to go into these different... Resources. you will have 10 others that will be made available to you, either by Amazon suggesting them to you or by the sources themselves suggesting additional resources. You will start a journey that will never end. Uh, You will be able to find a lot of answers to the different kinds of questions you have. I can't say enough about this one either. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, get into a Bible study, which is this. Get into a Bible study with other Christians because... No one is an expert in 100% of any of this. Everyone you will ever meet knows something you don't. And, conversely, everyone you will ever meet is right about some things and wrong about others. And as you go on this journey to be a Christian disciple, you need to start to be able to discern what is true and what is not. This guy already has this. We're talking about our biblical resources sheet. Decided to make that available. And, uh, The final piece is maybe the most, and this is not in order of importance, prayer and personal study is paramount, unless you're going to God asking, what does this mean, and reading it, because now you can read the the sum total of of the Word of God and not just pieces, you're not going to be able to understand it. Okay, That leads us to today, which is Hebrews 2. And uh, really, I think we'll just jump right in. Quick review, Hebrews written by most likely a Jewish Christian convert <clears throat> writing to his fellow Jews in the first century, imploring them through an excellent sermon composed with a lot of thoughtful references to the Hebrew Old uh, Bible or, or what we call <coughs> Old Testament to make the case that Jesus is above the angels, our Messiah, he was the Messiah, King, High Priest, superior to the angels, and yet made lowly enough to be the substitution for our sin, to take our place permanently in a sacrifice in which he gave his life, and then when he rose again, gave us life through his resurrection. Today we're going to read chapter 2, and if I could ask for a volunteer today, chapter 2, read the whole thing, which is verses 1 to 18, please. I'll do it. Thank you, sir. We must... (coughs) Excuse
1: me. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received, it was just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which is first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who've heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he came, he has subjected the world to come, but which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor. You put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet we present, yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, to them. But we do not see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor. Because he suffered death, so that by grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom through everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he has suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare you your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again he says, Here am I, the children of God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is, the devil, and freed those who who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he has made them fully human in every way in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those being tempted.
0: Today, I am going to ask you to teach this to me. And what I mean by that is, I want to put on your hat, as if you are sitting down with someone like yourself, uh, or, or someone not like yourself, and going through this passage and kind of explaining what it means. What I want to do is take it carefully. Start start at the beginning. This gets at this idea of the the conceptual interpretation. What I said at the beginning is what? Every passage of the Bible has a root conceptual meaning. What I mean by that is, what is it really trying to say? (laughs) What is it really trying to say? Because everything in the Bible is trying to say something. I want you to put on your teaching hat today and tell me, what is Hebrews 2 trying to say? We'll start at the beginning, whoever would like to volunteer. What sticks out to you?
2: First verse it's referring back, so for this reason, so he's saying what I just told you in the first Mm -hmm. part, or chapter 1 in our Bibles, um, kind of establishing who Jesus is. Okay. I mean I'm gonna assume that they that the people he was writing to were starting to drift. Okay. Yeah.
3: And but but I have a question. What happens if we look at the scripture, looks at this the first verse? Because I looked at that too, and I but I look at it in a broader context of saying we need to pay attention to what we're hearing from God's Word. Um, and apply it in our lives. Otherwise If we don't we're not keep if we are not paying attention to learning um, and sharing um, We'll drift away from God and drift away from
0: the word Okay, excellent In order to establish what is the text really trying to say I have told you there are three things that you should ask yourself. What are the three core questions you need to ask in order to understand the passage? What's the first one? Who wrote it? One, who wrote it? And when I say who wrote it, am I asking, what was the name of the individual, his birth date, social security number, and place of residence? What type of person? What type of person (laughs) wrote it? Okay. What's the second thing we ask? Who did you write it to? Who, is, who did you write it to? Who is the audience? And again, it could be, there is a specific name, but in general, what are we saying there? Same thing. Same thing. Type of, type of what is the type of person or community? What's the third question we ask? Why? Why? Why was this written? Look, although it's possible that the authors of the Old and New Testaments were sitting in a <clears throat> you know, retirement community center, and someone handed them a blank piece of paper and said, just start writing whatever comes to mind, that's probably not what happened. <laughs> there was probably very good reasons why the, the authors and editors of the Old and New Testament scriptures were motivated to sit down, Find a pen and paper or papyrus or parchment or what have you and start writing. There was something motivating them and often something very strongly motivating them. I mean, why do we go to the trouble of this? And Remember, in antiquity, writing was difficult, it was expensive, and it was rare. And so for someone to sit down and purchase the materials to write, to, to compose and think a thoughtful um, uh, uh, a passage to put to paper or or parchment, what have you, and then share that with others. And the fact that two thousand to four thousand years later we still have it today means there must have been a good reason to write it. And so, if you if you consider these three questions: who wrote it, who was the audience, and why did they write it? Now you can start to interpret what I'm hearing here today. So, <coughs> let's continue. And welcome, brother. We're going through Hebrews too. <coughs> What else do you derive from this passage based on all of that?
2: Verse 2, it <clears throat> lays out that sin was put to death mm-hmm. received a just penalty. And well, also just showing there's a problem.
0: And, and the problem is what? <clears throat> this is a good one.
1: <clears throat> problem is? It violation, disobedience.
0: This is it. And this is this is, you know, people define sin in many ways. Um, the root of course. Words of, of of Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek have their own meaning, but but in general sin is really summed up by this, which is what You said it, disobedience. Disobedience. I think there's two words there, right? right? Violent, violation. Yeah. Transgression, Transgression yeah. Via, yeah. And and define those for me please. What is disobedience? <laughs> That's pretty straightforward. Doing
2: what you're told not to do and not doing what you're told to do.
0: Perfect. And what is transgression? Think of this like the idea between the difference between morals and ethics. There are some actions that hurt who? Yourself. And there are other actions that hurt others. And so in some ways, and I'm making this very oversimplified, it's, it's sin encompasses both types. The types of harm, disobedience, um, rebellion, in which you are harmed and others are harmed. And there is a very strong argument to be made that there is never one or the other. It's both. It's always both, no matter what. Well,
1: Psalm 51 says we violate, it's a violation against God. That he's more concerned about now what we do to
0: each other. And why? What, why is it so bad that we disobey God? Why?
1: Well, he designed us for a purpose and a reason. If we go against that, we're not fulfilling the purpose
0: of reason. Okay, Which is so we have a matter? purpose. Actually, that's really good, and we're going to get into that. We, meaning humans, have... At least one purpose. <clears throat> he's perfect, or God. There you go. It's this idea that God is perfect. He is perfection. Holy. Just. Just. And just meaning what?
2: He. Say it again. He sets the. He sets the standard. I mean, mm-hmm. he's the like, just or justice. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> What's another good word for this? The opposite of wrong. <laughs> righteousness. <Yeah>. Um, <clears throat> the word righteousness, the words justice and righteousness appear over and over and over and over in the Old and New Testaments. They must be important. <laughs> God is just. He's righteous.
2: He's, I mean, he's the creator, so mm-hmm. he gets to say, basically. Ah. I mean, it's creator. His. We are his. And so he gets to choose. Somewhere in it. Scripture it says that <clears throat> man, we, mm-hmm. found ourselves right in our own eyes. Ah. Meaning we went against what he says is right.
0: Okay. So this idea of sin, which is the problem, rebellion, disobedience, transgression, violation against, against ourselves and others and primarily against God is balanced with God, who is perfect, just, and right, holy. Uh, Of course, another word is holy, which has a spiritual kind of perfection implied with it. Um, It carries a consequence. Ah. So this problem, which is sin, carries a consequence. That is fundamental for Hebrews 2. What is the consequence of sin? Death. Death. Separation death which means separation and it means a lot of things death death is the consequence of sin what's the cure what's the cure according to the author of Hebrews mine says propitiation okay what does that fancy word mean (laughs) substitute exchange say it again exchange Mm, yeah, kind of. Um, I—that's. This is one of those two-dollar words. Propitiation. Three dollars. Give,
2: give I, I think it's
0: it's three. I'll give you three. Okay. I would define propitiation as the appeasement of God. The I am going to satisfy or appease God, and in thus doing, deter or defer His wrath. That would probably be the closest way I can define what propitiation means. It means something has happened that is bad. God is angry about it. And there has to be a way to atone or satisfy God so that he's not angry anymore. You have, in fact, turned away wrath. I would call that propitiation. And that, in doing so, includes um, the words I heard. I think I heard, say it again. Exchange. So in this case substitute who and and when you say exchange or substitute what are you saying you're substituting
2: my death for Jesus death for my death there you
0: go some kind of penalty Um, and and in penalty if you're getting penalized on earth for for a, a traffic violation you're probably not gonna lose your life what are you gonna lose You know this idea of, of payment, right? This is where we start to get our words for redemption, substitution, exchange. Um, when we used to have redemption of glass and aluminum uh, bottles, uh, you would pay <laughs> uh, you would pay a price to have that material substance, and then when you would return it, that that item would be redeemed. Redeemed meaning. The store usually that you bought it from would give you the money back to get back that material. It's the same in the idea of slavery in the first century. Um, you paid, right, to purchase a slave. I went to a slave owner, and it's slaves, and I and I paid, you know, thirty pieces of silver, what have you. No, you know, it's never only thirty pieces of silver. It's usually something else, but. Um, You'd pay pay some money. you get that slave, and that slave, that human being, would be your material property. At some point, that slave could, in many cases, purchase their freedom back. And if they did that, they were redeeming themselves, or someone else would redeem them. They would pay the penalty for this. And, and you know, in that case, it's not as much a penalty as just a payment. All of these are how we propitiate God's wrath. And what is the propitiation of how he... And who is the He? Jesus,
3: Jesus of Nazareth,
0: who is called the Christ. Christ meaning what? Messiah. The anointed one. The anointed one. Thank you. And and when you say all those two dollar words, what is anointed one? Messiah. Who is the audience? What does that mean to them?
2: The, the <clears throat> Jewish audience. Okay perfect one the blameless the one they've been waiting
4: for
0: yeah waiting for because where did they read about it and hear about it
2: prophets have been saying it for hundreds and hundreds of years
1: thank you what well, I noticed though that by following God we, we still will have uh, there's still a consequence for following him and in the, in the world from point of view, there will there's a price to pay for that too, following mm-hmm. Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's not a free ticket.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's we will get into that. Okay. Hold that thought for just a moment no. here. Um, I want you to now ask yourself. All of this is right. You are doing an excellent job. And by the way, for those who have just joined us, you all are teaching me about Hebrews too. And you're pretending like you're explaining this to someone. We've just gone through the passage here, and I, we're kind of going you know, piece by piece. What does it mean? Who wrote it? Who is it, the author writing it to? And what does it mean? And, and again, I've said this a couple of times. I'll say it again. Every passage of Scripture has a root conceptual idea, meaning what it really is trying to say. What I'm asking you to do is to tell me as we go through this, what is each passage trying to tell me? You're already doing an excellent job here. We've identified the problem space. Problem is sin and death <clears throat> because it represents a transgression, a rebellion of God and his perfect law and his perfect order. <clears throat> now we're talking about the cure, who is Jesus. Now we've got to talk about how that works. And again, you know, what I like to you know caution people here is this. One of the barriers to understanding the, the, the word of God or the Bible is we often try to impute a literal, concrete, face value uh, interpretation onto the text. Sometimes that's not possible. In fact, most of the Old and New Testaments are not literal, face value, concrete statements. Most of them are conceptual. So what I'm trying to train you to do as we go through this class is first identify what is the conceptual root meaning. What is it really trying to say? And if we can find a literal, concrete, face value, Interpretation, we will try and find that. Here, we've identified the problem, we've identified the cure. Now we have to understand why that works. Why is Jesus a substitution for our sin and death? Because of the blood. His blood was shed. So let's follow that <coughs> reasoning. <coughs> it works because. The blood of Jesus was shed. Now, what makes his blood so special? Godly blood. God said it was. Ah! (coughs) This is so good. This is so good. All of you are right. Because God said it was. And because God also is a God of logic and reason, and you have a frontal lobe for a reason, (coughs) because he wants you to understand it at some level. Why did the blood work that time? Why that time? What makes him so special? Because the DNA is only it. half human. Say it again. He's God. According to the text that you have just read here, <clears throat> tell me the the quantitative empirical reasons that this author lists as saying why that worked. Now, you said he is God. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that is true. I would say um, show me in here where it says that, or show me where in here it says that it's at least better than everything else that could have been spilled. Where do you see that?
2: Verse seven, it says you have crowned him with glory and honor. Nice, nice. So? <coughs> you have pointed him over the work of your hands. Yep. Which means he was there in the beginning. He was pointed. He's in charge. Over works.
0: He is authority he has been invested with the authority he has been deputized with that magic star badge all things and subject under." now this is a big one when you say all things have been subjected all is a pretty powerful word what else
1: not the blood that don't forgiveness
2: of sins. In the last half of verse 9, it says, um, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone.
0: Ah.
2: Ah.
0: Now, I am going to, for those of you universalists who might be in the room or listening to this, I'm going to tell you right now, This is another passage that proves unequivocally you're wrong. If you read your translation, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone, that is the Greek subjunctive case. That is a conditional statement, folks. That statement is not saying he died so that all people will have salvation and eternal life. It is very specifically saying he died so that it could happen if certain conditional things happen. Not everyone on earth is going to heaven. There is no biblical support for that. And here again, this is a conditional statement so that we might, he might taste death for everyone, that we might be able to go. And what do we have to do in order to get that? Believe. Believe. You are going to say something, Steve.
2: Yeah, it kind of ties back to the penalty being death, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, to, to satisfy God. But our death doesn't do that. Ah, yeah. You know, we're not good enough. Because yeah. if that were the case, we'd just, you know, wait till we died. And, you know, your death just took care of your sins. No. Mm-hmm. Well, not even all the animals in the world mm-hmm. could
4: satisfy that they had to continue sacrificial system and then still didn't satisfy. And even from the very beginning when he provided the the coverage for Adam and Eve. I mean that was just a temporary covering. Mm-hmm. So
3: mm-hmm.
4: And you have uh, Jesus who comes along that you know in first says the founder of their salvation. Perfect through suffering. hmm And he was perfect, he walked the his I don't know how many years, thirty, six years or whatever perfectly mm-hmm. and showed us the way and that he was the one sinless spotless lamb that took away all the sins of the world once and for all where now there's no need for a sacrificial system there's no need for anybody
0: else to to die this is all true <clears throat> this is all right the key to understanding what that means next is in the beginning of verse 9, but we see Jesus who was what? Made what? Lower. Wait a minute. You just told me that he was above the angels. Now it's saying it was made lower. What does that mean? He became one of us. Yeah! He became (coughs) one of us. And when you say us, what do you mean? A human being. So, not only is this all absolutely right, that God has allowed Jesus to be our substitution for death because God said so and because Jesus was perfect there's an additional piece here Jesus was made this whole thing works because Jesus was made like you he wasn't just a deity that came to the earth and died somehow and came back to life why would Jesus take the form of a human to do this why couldn't he have taken the form of an animal? Or a or a, or you know, space creature or something? Why was it a human being? So he could live life like, like
1: us.
3: <clears throat> you, flesh from our flesh. I know you're not on verse 18 yet, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah, he became, since you became like us, he's he was tempted like us, yes. he suffered like us, yes. but he didn't sin. So that's what separates him from, that's why he's able to understand our suffering and temptation, but he's given us the way out.
0: Any religion on earth that tries to convince you that their system is right will often say, well, it's right because we believe in this deity who is better than humans, thinks humans are a waste of time, an accident, formed from a blood clot, um, are just annoying all of us deities up here. And so we will, through our you know um, benevolence, make it rain once in a while or give you children or maybe make your job better. Oh, gee, thank you. <laughs> thank you. You have no idea what it's like to be us. They have no idea what it's like to be a human being. They don't want to be like a human being. If you look at the pantheon of Greco-Roman gods of the period, none of them wanted to be like a human because they thought that was ridiculous. We were trash. All we existed for was to serve them. You have this religion now, the system of belief that's saying the complete opposite. We have a deity now that has gone out of his way to be like you. In fact, he did everything a human being does all the way from being born to being killed. He lived, he breathed, he ate, he cried. He cried. There's three references in the New Testament to Jesus crying. He was hungry. He was hungry. He was tempted. And yet, what happened? How is is he like us but somehow not? What was the result of all of that? The temptation piece, especially.
2: To still recognized God was God.
0: He quoted scripture. You know, <coughs> He resisted it all. Resisted. Yeah. Temptation, but he understands it. This is where you can help in spreading the gospel. When, when you meet someone who doesn't know Christianity or reads about it on CNN or something like that, you know, um, you can explain what it really means. It means that you understand, just like they do, what they're going through. Oh, you're a drug addict, so was I. Oh, you were in prison, so was I. Oh, you have stolen, so have I. You've, you've murdered, so have I. <laughs> Luckily, Jesus didn't do those things, but you can say that you relate because you're a human being and you can relate to others. In, in, a, in a different but similar way, Jesus can say the same for us. I know exactly what you're going through, Dan Custis. I had to get up every morning and work. I had to find food for you know, my brothers or my, my mother, I had to uh, work until my hands hurt and bled. Um, I had to, f- to eat or I was gonna die. Um, I had to drink or I was going to die. He knows exactly what it's like to be a human being, and, and through that, through that identification and actually living, you know, <laughs> you don't know what Mars is like until you go there. It's probably true. Until someone actually steps foot on the red planet, we won't really know what it's like to be on Mars. You can send all the robots you want, on all the, all the cameras from space, you won't really know what it's like until you go there. Jesus went there. <laughs> well, Second Corinthians 1 talks about Jesus being the wounded healer.
2: Ah, okay. Love that. I can read it if you want. Yes, sir, please. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, in any affliction with the comfort with which he ourselves we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ.
0: He suffered, folks. <laughs> he suffered. And for, for those Gnostics among you who say, well, he didn't." Jesus, the Christ, never suffered. Some bodily creature that, that the Christ inhabited for a short time suffered, but the Christ didn't. No, you're dead wrong. Jesus, the Son of God, Co-equal with the divinity of the Father Felt the pain of torture and death Period And he felt that And I don't know about you How many of you will suffer and die for your faith Thankfully I think most of us won't Some of you will But for the vast majority of us who won't Think about what that means That Jesus suffered more than I'll ever even know And yet he died As a propitiation for me Took my place
2: It's because we deserve it
0: Ah,
2: this he is so important. Not really he suffered because we deserve it. Yeah, but in our suffering, we can use that
1: as an example of the stuff we've been through to share with other people. I may not have done it, but I know somebody else who's done yeah. it. Can, I can match that Love person it. too, saying, been there, done that, that the hat and
0: everything. How many of us are willing to sacrifice for another human being? Think about it, your life onion, as I call it. Maybe you're willing to suffer, maybe even die, for those closest to you, your, your family, your children, your wife, your, your parents maybe. Um, the, the further out you get in that life onion, the less likely probably you are to sacrifice all that you have for those people. Okay, now we're talking about friends. Maybe we're talking about your Christian brothers and sisters. Maybe we're out to your colleagues and your, <laughs> your fellow workers. Maybe now we're talking about people who are of a completely different political party than you. How likely are you to give your life to the person who online this morning told you how, what an awful human you were because you believed in Jesus? How likely are you to suffer an excruciating death on a cross for that person and die? Isn't it great that Jesus is not like you?
2: Who would you give a kidney for? What's Okay. you yep. I love it. I love it. I love it. See? <laughs> yeah, I mean, not, not, my car, not yeah. even that far, but who would, you, who would you buy a meal for?
1: Just the other day, there was somebody on Facebook that was giving a kidney to a total stranger.
2: Hmm?
1: And her sister asked for prayers. Name of sister, family name, <clears> asked for prayers.
0: And that's great, Lorna, and that's a better human being than I. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll pose this uh, thought, thought experiment to you. What if you're being rounded up by the government because you're a Christian and because they say that you're endangering people's lives for breathing on them? How dare you congregate? We're going to build a fence around your church because you dared to say that this is not the only life there is and you have eternal life in Christ. And it gets to the point where they throw you in jail they take your house away and they're ready to put you in the electric chair for it. For how dare you? How dare you worship Christ? Are you... Would you be willing, as they strap you into that device and put that metal helmet on your head, to say, I will give my life for the guy who's about to pull that trigger? It was for Jesus, yeah. Think about that. Well, I
4: think that's the the perspective we need to have. We're in, if we ever find ourselves in that room, is that it's not for the guy the trigger, it's the guy that's, that's Jesus. Yeah. And, and your, I think yeah. when we wrap our brain around that, uh, I think it
1: puts everything else in perspective. Well in the Roman Coliseum, it's just when the Christians are being involved uh, by the animals and stuff. They didn't fight the animals or the gladiators. They just prayed. They were filled with the Holy Spirit to endure. But the people in the audience saw the peace that they had in their dad. They go, I want that. Because they don't mm-hmm. have that. Yeah. Whatever the Christians had, that's why it grew because yes. of the persecution. These guys endured. Mm-hmm. They're lined up
4: there, you know. They're,
1: they're heaven Who cares? Yeah.
4: There, there's a different perspective. There's a different attitude. There's, there's strength in that. You know, just like Stephen. He just, just went down on his knees and, and prayed. Yeah. Just allowed it to happen. You know, and the same thing with Daniel and the lions. den. put his. He's going to open up those windows and pray. Like he always had knowing that there's a chance that he's gonna um die and determine the lines again but got decided to save him some kind with of, um, <clears throat> well so he probably realize it's a trap oh yeah it's a trap
2: sort of, but his perspective is that doesn't matter you know i i think these are these are pretty extreme examples mm-hmm. <clears throat> and i appreciate the examples but mm-hmm. who's willing to give up a saturday morning for you know sitting with a friend that's that's hurting I mean, mm-hmm. let's what get down a... to brass tacks about mm-hmm. it, yeah. We're probably not going to have to, you know, mm-hmm. watch the guy pick up the stone, get ready to throw at it. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's good. It's good. Let's entertain that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. It's, that's usually what you're doing <clears throat> when the government catches you. Yeah. Well, as, as believers,
3: mm-hmm. as believers uh, we understand that this is just temporal. Mm-hmm. Life eternal is where we're focused on going to, when we're supposed to be glorifying God every day. <coughs> we do. But let's say there's a billion Christians. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, mm-hmm. we have a billion Christians on Earth that would give their lives yep. for another billion people to become Christian, to be able to go mm-hmm. to heaven. Um, obviously, you can't mm-hmm. because of our death doesn't the cause them. They had to believe. Like, let's just say yep. they believed after that. Mm-hmm. With a million
0: Christians give their lives to have what happens? And, and 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 Ken is exactly right. And the thought experiment of saying, you know, what I give my life to the to the to the guy who's about to, you know, pull the switch on the electric chair, think about that in terms of that's what Christ did for you. That's exactly what Christ did for you, because you know what? All of you have pulled the switch on the electric chair. I'm sorry if that shocks you. Sorry, that's a bad pun. <clears throat> I'm sorry if that upsets you. Ken Hockmuth pulled the switch on, on the electric chair. Roger <coughs> Howard pulled the switch. All of us pulled the switch. And guess what? He did it for you anyway. He did it for you anyway. What would you say?
4: What did Jesus say? know
0: How awesome is that? But to get at what Ken is saying is, in your normal everyday life, this is exactly right. Probably not going to have to worry about giving my life or my mm-hmm. kidney for someone who is, you know, persecuting me. Am I, am I helping to mow the church lawn? <laughs> am, I, am I going to dinner with the homeless person that, that needs help mm-hmm. and probably needs food more than he needs me to preach to him? Um, you know, you, you make a thousand <clears throat> d- choices a day that determine your heart. The fruit that you produce is not one giant apple.
2: I guarantee you I will never, <clears throat> I'll never do the extreme unless I'm doing those mundane.
0: I, I love this. I, I never would. I love I, this. Unless I
2: can experience it on a, you know, if I could sit, yeah, I was doing this, but you know what, you call with a, you're hurting, I'll sit and talk with you for an hour on the phone. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me come over, let me come sit with you, let me, I mean. I've been given a lot of opportunities lately to do these types of things, and I don't always do them, but I do it. Sometimes I do them, and the times I do them, it's like, wow, you know, how amazing of an opportunity. I had a friend whose mom died, and
3: mm-hmm.
2: their funeral was <clears> in Carroll at five o'clock. So I drove to Carroll. You know, I took time off work to drive to Carroll. Yep. And when I walked in the door, and you know, his wife just burst into tears because I'm there mm-hmm. and I care that's what matters I don't have to give up a kidney or mm-hmm. anything like that <clears throat> it's being an example of Christ
0: yeah, and they're and Christian that's, that's
2: what we need to do these are great Christian people I mean. but that's I mean mm-hmm. and I get to benefit I get the, the benefit from that as much or more than they do mm-hmm. because look at I, I don't know it's a, it's a little bit of sacrifice a little bit of giving something up for somebody
0: else's sake. Think of the thousand choices a day that you make that can either bear fruit or not bear fruit. Part of it is this. Someone is in need, maybe a Christian brother or sister, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, give my time or effort or money to help them. Again, what are the things that matter to you that are a sacrifice? Your time, your effort, your money. I've
1: heard it said, people... I don't
0: care how much you know because they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And how much you care implies a quantity. <laughs> it implies I didn't just do it once a week or once a month or I got my tax refund so I gave 50 bucks to the homeless shelter, right? Um, your walk is a daily walk with Christ as a disciple of Jesus and it is two sided. It is helping those in need, and it is forgiving those who hurt you. Now, this is the one we have the hardest time doing. Someone is a jerk to you. Someone tells you you're wrong about your political affiliation or the church or something, right? Blasts you on social media. Um, someone is a jerk to you at the store. Um, you know, someone wants to race you in your car or something. You know, there's a million different examples. <laughs> you can show your fruit by sometimes not acting the way you want to act.
2: Yes, of course, you have launch control. <laughs> it's
0: nice. nice. Supercharge. You know, it's 100,000 RPM. It's an amazing machine. Um, <clears throat> you know, it, and it gets at that, right? And, and often I have found, and I'm convicted by this, that it often happens in a, in a brief flash of a moment in which I react in my human way and regret it. And I don't think regret is really all that godly. I think it's more of just a reminder to me, like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. It's so easy, because it always happens when you least expect it. I'm gonna tell you right now, you know, the person you're driving through the the parking lot, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to go into Kohl's, because I got a 10% off coupon, and I'm gonna buy those new, uh, you know, those new shoes. I bet they, oh, and the guy steals my parking lot space. Happens in a flash of a moment. What's the first thing I want to do? Blah, right? And then you're like, oh wait. <laughs> be patient, be patient. And
2: then you see them on the check-out, right? They've got
0: 30% off. The That's it, and they got the shoes you went yeah. for. And you're like, oh geez, <laughs> this is the last pair. It's so true, brother, it's so true. How hard I don't know. I, you know, what I'm getting at here is I'm convicted by i got to just be ready. Because I think my my thousand choices a day are going to happen often when I least expect it. I like to be prepared. And, geez, you guys know this. Look, I come to the class with all this, you know, monkey business. Um, I like to think and plan ahead of time. But 99% of the choices you will make in your life will often happen in the spur of the moment, in the, in the quick flash, blink of an eye. And I think as we train ourselves to be better about sharing the word and about being good disciples and being patient and forgiving our enemies, the more we can just be in a steady state, mental state of that being that way, then when these things happen and you just don't expect them they come out of the blue, maybe you'll be better prepared to deal with them. I do want to uh, finish here with this idea of of brotherhood. Um, Jesus made like his brothers. Who are Jesus' brothers? He actually makes a comment of this in the Gospels. Who does Jesus say his his mother and brothers are? Does the will of the say it louder.
4: Whoever does the will of the Father.
0: Whoever does the will of the Father. Wow, that's interesting. That's interesting, so who would that be? Us, occasionally. Ah, okay. And when you say us, what do you mean? Believers. Yes, yeah. believers. You you call them Christians, believers. Um, <clears throat> It's interesting that Jesus didn't refer to his disciples as brothers until after the resurrection. Let that digest for a minute. What does that say to you? Jesus never directly addressed his disciples as brothers until after his crucifixion and resurrection. Only then, in the post-resurrection um encounters that Jesus has with his, his disciple apostles does he call them my brothers what does that tell you
3: they couldn't take in what he was telling them maybe Before. maybe they weren't believers before because <laughs> they didn't understand
0: I've got chills mm-hmm. I've got chills and now that they're believers. And now what has happened to Christ too? Their disciples have changed. Something has fundamentally changed in them after the resurrection. What happened to Christ after the resurrection? He was transfigured. He was transfigured. What he's the what? The firstborn of what? <coughs> what does the Bible say? Jesus is the firstborn of, of, the, dead. of the dead or all creation. Remember that? Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. If Jesus is now transformed and is now the firstborn, the living embodiment of the kingdom, and you as a believer now believe that Jesus is who he says he is, what does it tell you about you fundamentally?
2: My first thought is that who is the guy who was a or just sat at the table and mm-hmm. got fat? Yep. We could do that. We could just sit at the table. Or we can... I mean, we, we, <coughs> we're given the most amazing opportunity to the ambassadors. Yep. To, to, to show others who he is. Mm-hmm.
0: And who you are. Because guess what, folks? If you truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is... You're not dead anymore. You can't die.
3: Well, plus he's given
2: us the spirit yes. to be with us every day to go out do gives. We act like this like it's this big obligation, but it's more of an opportunity. Than it is some obligation. We don't we don't have to. We, don't, we really don't have to. We still get to choose too, right? Yep. if I'm I'm obligated. Here we go. I guess I'll drive to Carol.
0: I'm gonna leave you with this today. For those of you hiding in your homes, deathly afraid that the next virus is gonna kill you and your family, and you're living in fear, and you have no hope, because I think right now 90% of the world has no hope and you think this is all there is, I'm going to point you to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death go out into the world and live thank you we'll see you next week